welcome to the first, yes, the very first of what I'm sure will be many podcasts from The Evidence-Based Investor. I'm Robin Powell. This program is brought to you by Regis Media, connecting advisors with clients. Today, we're talking about Spiva. Regular Tebby followers will know straight away what I'm referring to. In case you're not one of them, Spiva is a scorecard for fund managers compiled by S&P Dow Jones Indices. It stands for S&P Index versus Active and began in the US in 2002. It now covers fund performance all over the world. The latest figures for mid-year 2016 have been released over the last few weeks and they make pretty grim reading for actively managed funds and, more importantly, for investors who use them. Joining me on a phone line from New York City is Craig Lazara, S&P's Global Head of Index Investment Strategy. Craig, what's the idea behind SPIVA? The point of the SPIVA exercise is to look at the actual returns of a large set of actively managed mutual funds. We do that in a particular way, which is adjusted for what we call survivorship bias, and by that I mean you want to make sure that all the funds that existed in 2010 actually report results for 2010. Uh, you don't only want the funds that have survived to 2016, uh, because that obviously biases the, the sample. Uh, in any event, we take the, the actual returns of actively managed mutual funds and then compare them to indices that are appropriate to that style of investment. So, for example, in the U.S., we compare large-cap mutual funds to the S&P 500. We compare small-cap funds to the S&P small-cap 600, mid-cap to mid-cap 400, Canada to the CSX Composite, Australia, Europe, and so forth, all things set against appropriate local benchmarks. Broadly speaking then, Craig, what do you tend to find? Most of the time, the majority, and in some cases the vast majority, of active managers underperform the benchmark that's appropriate to their investment style. And that has continued to be true when we updated for mid-year 2016. Uh, For example, 85% of all U.S. large-cap managers underperform for the 12 months ended June uh, June 30th, 2016. Similar percentages for mid-cap and small-cap, similar percentages uh, for, uh, for Europe and the UK specifically. If you go back longer periods of time, say instead of looking at just the last 12 months, we look at the last five years or even what we can with the data permitted, the last 10 years, the result doesn't change. In fact, it typically gets worse. Of course, all this begs the question, why do actively managed funds perform quite so poorly? Craig, what do you make of that? The overall reason is that active management is particularly difficult, and it's difficult for a particular reason. The reason is that there is no natural source of, of alpha. Now, alpha in the, in the business, you think of it as just excess return, the amount by which an active manager outperforms a passive benchmark. There's no natural source of alpha. Another way to say that is that if I'm going to be, if let's say if I'm managing actively in the U.S. market, if I'm going to be above average, somebody else has to be below average. There's no, there's no source of winnings for the winners other than the losses of the losers. Well, that means that that active investing, generally speaking, is what you might call a zero-sum game, but it's a zero-sum game that you have to pay to get into because, obviously, you have to pay research costs, trading costs, management fees, and so forth in order to be an active manager. 
and that biases the results downward. So you might expect over time maybe 55 or so percent of active managers to underperform. What we've seen in the U.S. in the last several years, and certainly, as you say, continues into the most recent report, is that the percentage of underperformance is much higher than that, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 80 uh, or, or more than 80 percent, which is really quite high by historical standards. Now, the particular reason for that, uh, I, I think, uh, relates to a concept that we call dispersion. Think of dispersion as, uh, well, formally it's the it's the standard deviation of returns uh, of stocks in the S&P 500 on a on a on a monthly basis. That's the the technical definition. The the intuitive definition is that we think of dispersion as the the gap between the best performing stocks and the least and, and the worst performing stocks. So in a period of high dispersion. The winners at a stock level, the winners are doing a lot better than the losers. In a period of low dispersion, the winners are doing obviously better than the losers, but by a much more uh, much more contained and muted margin. Now, in the U.S., uh, since roughly 2011-2012, dispersion has been extremely low. Uh, 2014 was actually the lowest year for which we have records in the last 25 years. And it, it hasn't gotten any better, or not certainly not much better, in 2016. It was quite low over the summer. And what low dispersion means is that even for an active manager, if we, let's say we acknowledge that we've identified an active manager with genuine stock selection skill, what dispersion helps you measure is the value of his skill. Because even if I can always pick the top quartile of stocks in the uh, in the S&P 500, for example, if the difference in performance between the top quartile and the average is very small, the value of my skill is much less. Now, as you'd expect, there are some funds that do manage to outperform. But, Craig, you've also done some interesting research into the persistence of outperformance, haven't you? What does that data tell us? We've only done this in the U.S. so far, because the depth of the data uh, here is, is, is really quite quite good. But what we'll do is go, let's say, go back five years, identify all the funds in a given category that were above average. And I say above average, this means above average relative to the other active managers. That, that makes no reference to whether those funds outperformed or underperformed the S&P 500, for example. So take all the funds, say all the large cap funds that were above average five years ago, and then say, okay, of those above average funds five years ago, how many were also above average four years ago, three years, two years, one year? And so you're just measuring through time, starting with a group that we knew that we know five years ago was, was, was the set of best performers, and then say, how well did they do over time? Now, obviously, if, if all of the guys who outperformed or were above average five years ago or above average in each of the years since then, you know that's that's pretty strong evidence that there's a that there's a group of skillful managers and and, and here's who they are. Uh, what we find, however, is if you do that exercise, just ask how many years of the last four the above average set from five years ago is above average. The answer typically is in the range, and we did this exercise uh, you know several months ago for the U.S. The answer typically ranges between oh let's say you know three and a half and six and a half percent. That's that's uh, that's kind of where it, where, it, where it typically ends up. There's you know, some deviations from that. And if you you know if you look at the specific fund categories, large cap, mid cap, small cap, it's all it's all kind of in the same range. Um, now the significance of that number is if if I try to flip a coin. Uh, 
uh, four times in a row, the chance of four heads in a row was about exactly, in fact, it was a fair coin, 6.25%. And the, uh, the, last, uh, the last time we did the exercise, uh, the percentage of large cap managers who, uh, who were above average five years ago, who did a uh, poor above average in the subsequent four years was 3.7%. Uh, for mid-cap funds, it was 5.8. Uh, small cap, a little better, 7.8. 7. So I, I always tell people when we discuss uh, persistence, you have, statistically speaking, you have a better chance of flipping four heads in a row than you do of identifying a manager who's going to be above average four years in a row. Craig Lazara, thank you very much. In a moment, we'll be looking specifically at the latest SPIVA data for the UK and Europe. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Hi, it's Will. I'm a producer from Regis Media. We know running a financial advisory firm is hard work, but we also know the value of high-quality, regular content and marketing, and that's where we come in. We support firms by helping them attract and retain clients through a mixture of video content, social marketing and written articles. To find out more, visit our website, regismedia.com. So we've heard from Craig Lazara on the global picture for active fund performance. Let's take a closer look now at what's happening in Europe. Joining me is Tim Edwards, Senior Director of Index Strategy at S&P Dow Jones in London. Tim, what struck you most about the mid-year SPIVA data for Europe? Hi, Robin. Um, well, I think the, the first thing was how striking the data um, really is at this particular point in time. Normally, if you, you didn't know and you were going to guess, you, you'd sort of assume that maybe you'd see 40% of managers outperforming, 60% underperforming. Um, what we've seen in, over the last year and over the past couple of years, this is a, a strengthening trend. Um, is those numbers getting higher and higher? Uh, and at the last report, we're seeing sort of fund un- uh, underperformance numbers in the high 80s and, and some really striking figures when you look at European funds invested in US equities and 99% underperformance. So that, that was the first surprise. And Tim, what about UK fund managers? To be fair to them, they've not done badly in recent years, but they've had a pretty disastrous 12 months. Yes, that was the uh, yes, that's the other interesting little snippet, which is that in previous, and we've been running this report in Europe for about three years now, and in previous years, what we saw was consistent outperformance from uh, UK managers invested in UK stocks. Two theories for this. One, that uh, British fund managers are particularly talented and uniquely qualified to, to make more money than anyone else. It's a theory I like. And the other one was uh, it might be because of a, a bias away from the, the titans of the London Stock Exchange and into smaller companies, which had been performing very well. That made this particular report really interesting and an acid test, if you like, because what happened just as they, we were compiling the data for this uh, was, of course, the, the UK vote for Brexit. And that had a very distinguished effect where large uh, multinationals, Unilever, BP and so on, trading in London, uh, very international revenue sources weren't affected by the falling pound. And in fact, actually, the, the, the pound price of their stocks rose as the pound fell. Um, and more domestic, smaller, medium uh, companies in the UK doing very badly. Now, the reason that's absolutely uh, fundamentally interesting for, for this kind of data is that if it's true that UK managers had been doing so well simply because of a bias towards mid-cap stocks, then Brexit was a real asset test. Did they manage to rotate into large caps and go into the safety of, of globally diversified revenue sources um, in, in advance of that sort of risky vote? And what we see in the data, this is actually the first time that we've seen UK uh, large cap equity managers trailing the, uh, the benchmark and, and 
again, in the order of 91% over the last year. It's a difficult one, Tim, isn't it? Because, of course, you'd very much like to think that your fund manager could get out of a particular asset class just before it falls and into another as it starts to rise. But as we all know, that's extremely difficult to do. And perhaps more worrying for investors in active funds is that the manager might be straying into riskier assets than they feel comfortable with. Their overall portfolio might, in fact, be rather riskier than they thought. Funds are not sold in in isolation. Uh, And you might have a situation where an investor has a mid-cap fund and a large-cap fund, and they like mid-caps, and they want mid-caps, and they bought a mid-cap fund, and then they got a large-cap fund. It's not very useful to that end investor if that large-cap fund is is then deciding to go into mid-caps. That's really a question of, you know, the individual funds, how are they sold, how are they branded? And there is a wider question here around... Uh, moving away from just the UK, you know, if you've got uh, a US-based equity fund that's taking exposure to emerging market equities, and beyond that in the bond markets, it's been a very, very well-established way to uh, boost the returns by just taking on a little bit more credit risk. The critical point here is while that may be occasionally wise and may make more money, it's not always helpful to the investor because maybe they had a particular risk budget and they've used or, or a particular wish to be in mid-cap stocks and they're already using it elsewhere. Briefly, Tim, because we're running out of time, you did in fact carry out some separate research into risk earlier in the year. Tell me about that. The concept was people don't necessarily just use active managers to deliver returns. Sometimes it's to manage risk. And so we thought we'd have a look. And just as we do in Spivos, we look at returns and, and how many funds uh, offer better returns than a benchmark. We uh, did quite an in-depth report on how many funds offer more or less risk uh, than their benchmark. And the conclusion was that actually uh, most of the time, most funds have actually a a greater or higher risk profile than their respective benchmarks. So they're kind of losing on on one and losing on the other. No real evidence of outperformance and a bias towards a little bit more risk as well. I think the conclusion is that while there are good funds out there, good active funds out there, um, they can be extremely hard to find. Indeed so. Thank you to Tim Edwards and to Craig Lazara from S&P Dow Jones Indices. You've been listening to the very first podcast from The Evidence-Based Investor with me, Robin Powell. It's been brought to you by Regis Media, connecting advisors with clients. Find out more at regismedia.com. That's regismedia.com. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.